The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Three men, with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom, now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme, and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 42 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Still waiting on my inhuman powers to manifest after being exposed to Terrigen Mists? Oh, wait, it was just Sierra Mist? I'm Adam. You know, I've really been missing my co-hosts, Steven and Michael, since they went off to film a movie together this summer and... Uh, what? What's this? It's a spacecraft has zoomed across the sky and come to an abrupt halt in midair. No earthly aircraft could make such a maneuver. Could it be Skrulls? The last surviving Kryptonians? Daemonites or Catellans? Wait, the craft has landed or two humanoid figures are emerging. Hey, it's the writer-director of the upcoming film UFO Club, Steven Sapellis, and, and can it be? Yes, Michael Canetti! Is it, though? As it be, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> in body, if not in spirit, right? <laughs> More or less, yes. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Good to be back. Yeah. Guys, how are things in movie land? What is going on out there? It's been a crazy summer, I'll say that. Since we've last spoken, Michael and I have not only met, like, he's been to my home for many days in a row. Yes. <laughs> so Michael and I really bonded uh hardcore and and the movie shoot was great i mean it was a really incredible experience we have a great cast ken frank and shauna brandall who also produced it along with michael uh are fantastic and yeah we're in the post-production phase right now and i can't wait to start showing it to people and i got to stay at a hotel by myself for like three and a half days without kids without my wife i was like the king of the castle sprawled out in a king-sized bed it was glorious <laughs> I, I offered michael a place in my home but he seemed way more excited to stay at a hotel you know what's so nice when you're by yourself you can be a total disaster and no one's gonna yell at you like the bathroom in that hotel i was just throwing towels over there like i was making it rain i was like this is fantastic <laughs> tossing stuff everywhere oh my god at one point i got like because i i play a small role in the movie and i let my beard grow out for it and i let my hair grow in and it was really irritating me and so mid production I shaved my head and shaved my beard in the bathroom of that hotel. So whoever cleaned that has got DNA of me all over the place. <laughs> I, I did not know this. Did I know this detail? That's, that's what uh, I was going to say. What about continuity? I, I made sure all of my scenes were shot. And then the week later, they needed me to be in another pickup shot. I was like, oh, I had to let it grow back a little bit. <laughs> so I was like, oh, crap. That's pretty bad. Uh, th this is where Michael announces his new podcast, Slob Life. <laughs> <laughs> He'll tell us all about his favorite things to do, or you just don't give a crap. I better trademark that before somebody else does. <laughs> but you guys have had a lot of changes also just going on, making movies, doing all sorts of stuff. And the theme of this issue is change as well. And so to start things off, Editor-in-Chief 
Pat McCallum, yes, the head honcho of Wizard over there, takes over the editorial column from Garib Seamus and announces that, quote, we've dropped a few items that seem to have run their course. So as you've checked out this issue by now, this seems to include Hunk and Babe of the Month as well as Brutes and Babes, the drawing tutorial with Bart Sears. They bring back a, a different format of it. But that being the case, you know, we're going to take a cue and we're going to be dropping a few segments from the podcast as well, because as Wizard expands its content just within its pages and its page count, we kind of have less need to fill time like we did in the early days of the show when it was mostly a price guide. So we're saying farewell to the Punisher's price guide on that note. And Guy Gardner's gimmicks a go-go. The reason? Number one, I don't want to do the math on Punisher's price guide. It's been noted many times that that might actually be an equivalent value today with inflation (laughs) and all. I can't do that. You do enough math with the whole Jim and Todd's hype machine there's too much math on this podcast. <laughs> now, Guy Gardner's gimmicks a go-go that just that trend of gimmicks is mostly fading from the industry at this point. Aside from Marvel, they're like the only ones doing all these enhanced covers every month and they're not that fancy. So there's just not that much to report. But as you probably noticed, we're moving Robin's Reading Rainbow over to the mini episodes, as well as Michael wants to institute a swear jar type penalty for whenever we mention Rob Liefeld's name. And that is going to be expensive. <laughs> did, that one, did that one just count? Was that, did that go towards the spray yeah, jar? We'll, we'll, or we'll or let no? that one slide because, okay. because we're, we're promoting <laughs> this element of the podcast. And I think that what we should do, like when we say he who shall not be named, it goes into like a point and maybe I'll try to keep the track of these points. And then at the end of the year, whoever has the worst record of saying his name gets something from the two of us, like something cool. Now, we have to clarify, though, when we're reporting on news, that doesn't count, does it? What oh, if I assign you guys a segment <laughs> that I'm setting every, you up? Every time his name is said, goes in the jar. <laughs> we, we, I we don't gotta, care. We gotta what come up is. with a different name for him, then, that we have to use other, you know, people know who we're talking about, like, oh, Mr. Smallfeet, something like that, you know? <laughs> Whose name? Are you trying to trick me? Look at you. That was a good one. <laughs> come on, that was an A+. Going forward, we're going to be a lean and mean podcasting machine, all right? We've had some fun, and the boys are back, and we are ready to rock. So, uh, Steven, why don't you help us open up? Willie Lumpkin's Mailbag. Another milestone for Wizard history is the origin of the Wizard Bunny, who would eventually become a costume character in the magazine, begins with a letter from Kevin Bolware of Prentice, Mississippi, who suggests that, like the Marvel No Prize, Wizard should start offering a rabbit award to the best letter each month. He clarifies, why call it a rabbit award? Because everyone knows a wizard can pull a rabbit out of his hat. Jim McLaughlin agrees with this one, but with one minor change. So he says, hmm, I've always been a fan of recognizing and rewarding excellent letters, and without all the groovy letters we get, I wouldn't have this job, which means I couldn't afford my car or my $800 a week guacamole habit. So okay, we'll do an award for the best letter every month, but I'll call it the Bunny Award instead of the Rabbit Award. Why? Because I feel like it. That's why. (laughs) 
the origin of the wizard bunny simply on a whim somebody it could have been the wizard rabbit no jim mclaughlin says it is the bunny there you go but adam as our resident historian does this mean that the wizard himself is passe as well i mean the wizard poof and crystal both these spokes characters that we've had all this time they kind of faded out probably like 20 issues ago at this point actually they they haven't really been seen yeah that was kind of a first year that's what i thought I mean, yeah we haven't seen the wizard himself in a long time bye poof ciao ciao what so the first ever wizard bunny award is then presented to dean bailey of pensacola florida well this poor guy that recommended it didn't even get the award <laughs> Uh, who provides his explanation of how Daredevil can know when he's finished wiping his butt. Uh, read it if you dare. Am I supposed to read this? That's up to you. Oh, wow. What an image that they've chosen of Daredevil wiping his butt. <laughs> So uh, Dean Bailey wrote, why is an almighty wizard? In a previous issue of Wizard in the Wizard Wonder section. Okay, that's, I'm not going to read any more of that. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> I knew it. It just, we'll post it, it to social media. Probably not appropriate. No, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't feel right. I'm it not going to. It doesn't age well, that's for sure. It does it, not it, age. It, like, it probably didn't age well, like, the next morning. Yeah. In 95. or Yeah, no, this is not fit for uh, 20, 21 years. Uh, pass on that one. But it's that kind of highbrow thinking and comedy, mm, in quotes, which earns the first coveted Wizard Bunny Award. So we'll see who else gets it in the future. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Okay, so the next letter is from Jerry T. Perkins of Pueblo West, Colorado. He calls out Wizard for their constant mockery of the spider clone. Wizard, please get off the spider clone's back. I think bringing back the clone was a great idea. It's fun to think, what if there was another one of me running around? So quit putting down a great idea. Also, if you don't like something like the clone, then state why you don't like it. Just don't say that it's stupid or lame for no reason. Say why it's stupid. Or why it's the more of the month. Act more like professional, like the professional publication that you claim to be. Wow. Jeez, Jerry. <laughs> so, let me, so this guy thinks Wizard is on the same level as what, like, the New Yorker or like, Time you know. Magazine. <laughs> Time Magazine. The Atlantic Wizard. Okay. This highbrow, yeah, 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 comic books and Beavis and Butthead, and is, Daredevil wiping his butt, yeah, yeah, on the same level as you know Echelon magazines. Okay, great. It's a prestige magazine. So the reason why we don't like the Spider Clone story is as follows: It's yet another annoying example of comic book revisionism. Marvel took a story almost 20 years old, a good story that made sense and had closure, and essentially told us two decades after the fact that it didn't happen that way. Another reason is that it's also an example of going to the well one too many times. Spidey is overexposed in the minds of many with four main titles. Adding another Spider-Man story only milks that cow dry. The Spider-Man milk? <laughs> Spider-milk? Mm. I buy Spider-Man milk, let's be honest. Yes. Dip wheat cakes in it? <laughs> It wasn't there was a Spider-Man ice cream not too long ago. Oh, okay. From Ample Hills with the bubblegum eyes. No, no, like oh. an actual like Ben and Jerry style ice cream. It was like Aunt May's apple pie, and I <laughs> I would always see it at Whole Foods, and I wanted to get it, but it was ten dollars for one of those little. So really, was an Aunt May ice cream? Wow, good for Aunt May. <laughs> ten bucks, yeah. Keeping the IP alive. Well, it was it was Spider-Man, but it just said like Aunt May's apple pie. 
<laughs> so yeah, I did not buy that one. It's nice to see that Wizard it puts their money where their mouth is. They're at least going to explain it. They're going to give the breakdown there. So that's nice that we know where they stand officially, not that it's just stupid for being stupid. Yes. So special note, Jim McLaughlin announces that he will be taking time off from Magic Words and handing the reins back to Doug Goldstein next issue, who was the original staff person to head up the column. Oh, look at all the stuff we're finding out here. I know. This is, like I say, we're talking about changes. Here's another change. This is crazy. But, Michael, I think we want to change the channel now and check out some of the headlines, so why don't you take us into... Wizard News! Hey! He's spunky, folks! I don't know. I'm sitting here having a beer. What can I say? Michael's loopy. (laughs) Dude, I am delirious. I've been up since five o'clock this morning. I am whacked. Just to say, Michael and I are back to office life. We are no longer remote, (laughs) which is a huge change. Because I think pretty much since the beginning of the podcast, almost, we've been remote. Yeah, I had about the first four months of the podcast, I was commuting and so on and then all of a sudden you know the world changed and was able to do all the stuff from home and now i am on the train four hours a day and living the dream as they say (laughs) yeah it's uh (laughs) it's something so if we're loopy that's why yes my apologies to all Anyway, speaking of loopy things, Marvel has purchased Malibu Comics. New Marvel president Terry Stewart says that the corporate heads were interested in the characters, the organization, and the West Coast location. But it's also noted that Marvel liked the -the state-of-the-art coloring. Interesting. And it could mean an upgrading of the quality of Marvel Comics. Stewart says, however, that they didn't necessarily buy into the creator-owned imprint Bravura. Is that how you say it? You got it. Wow, I said something right. Look at you. Yeah, I I always mess up these things, so look at that. What do you know? A couple weeks off and I get get back in the spelling (laughs) game. So, too bad for you, creator-owned imprint Bravura, from what he calls freelancers. So, this could be the end of that line. Dun, dun, dun. I'd never heard of it till this moment, so (laughs) who cares? In more uplifting news, Stewart reveals that Marvel characters are scheduled to cross over into the Ultraverse titles, starting with Thor, who will play an integral part in the beginning of the God Wheel event. I don't remember the God Wheel event at all. Nothing. This seems to put an end to the discussion of whether or not DC will have a crossover with the Ultraverse, as speculated a few issues back. Now, to my knowledge, and, you know, probably is the least amount of knowledge of the three of us (laughs) at this moment, I don't ever remember any Ultraverse characters ever appearing in any Marvel issues. Like, Prime and all those characters, but, like, gone. 
No, like. Michael, it is insane. Everybody is in everybody's books. Does it really? Oh. What they mention here is that the Marvel characters are going to cross over into Ultraverse, not that the Ultraverse will be part of the Marvel Universe. Okay. They're very clear about that line. So what they're going to do is basically just try to boost the profile of the Ultraverse by putting Spider-Man in there, by putting the Hulk in there. But, you know, so yeah, but like just in a couple months time here, you will see the Ultraverse and the Marvel Universe colliding in big ways. I do hope to see Ooh. Thor take Mjolnir right to the side of Prime's head. That would be <laughs> glorious. Does that happen? Uh, we will wait and see. No spoilers. I think Adam knows. I think Adam knows. <laughs> now, another recent corporate acquisition was Valiant Comics being bought out by Acclaim for a reported $60 million, and now the video game publisher announces that they will officially dissolve Valiant as a publishing entity. Wow. <laughs> but that's to create... Acclaim Comics, which basically is giving a major facelift to the existing Valiant titles. So the ones that are sticking around are Exo Manowar, Bloodshot, The Visitor, Solar, Magnus, Turok, Ninjak, and Shadow Man. And they're getting big name talent like Dan Jurgens, Bart Sears, John Ostrand, or Norm Brayfogle, and others to kind of give them a fresh look, new stories, all that kind of stuff. However, a ton of Valiant titles are being cancelled. And this includes Armoreeds, Geomancer, Harbinger, Hardcore, Psylords, Ray, Secret Weapons, and The Second Life of Dr. Mirage. Acclaim is launching licensed books. It's a new imprint called Armada, plus a creator-owned line called Windjammer. Maybe the Bravura folks are going to end up over there. And Neil Adams is producing a mini-series starring his Samuri character, which, Michael, <laughs> do you recall expressing an interest in this character? She's basically like Electra, but blonde and in a white leotard. Yes, I do recall this. I did I did some deep Googling on this character as well. I still know very little about it, but I was just intrigued. And for, for an evening, I was sitting there and I was doing some Googling and Wikipedia searches and eBay searches. And I was pretty interested. I was like, wow, this is kind of a cool character. One thing I want to point out, though, that I'm very surprised that Harbinger's being canceled because when Valiant comes back in the early 2010s or so, they spearheaded the lead of that reboot with the Harbinger team, Ninjak, and specifically Faith, who stemmed from the Harbinger books. Right. I just found that very, that, that particular story would be killed off. I, I mean, they really seem to be focusing, if you look at the list, it's solo heroes. What they're canceling is all the team books. It's like they're saying, we don't want to compete with X-Men. We'll just do solo adventurers. That's what people want, and hope that that does right by us. So a special pen called Art Guard has been created to help the authenticating of comic book autographs. How, you ask? Quote, the pen maker extracts the signer's DNA pattern from saliva or a hair root replicates it, then infuses it into the pen ink, end quote. <laughs> and this is some O.J. Simpson trial. Uh. <laughs> well, they're, they're going to go to Michael's hotel room and get some of that DNA. Yeah. <laughs> they're signing it in their own blood. <laughs> yeah, we've started cloning Michael for the UFO Club sequel. <laughs> he, he won't sign on for the second one. Uh, the signed item can then be placed under a special scanner to verify the DNA matches. Currently, only Steve Stern, creator of Zen, the intergalactic ninja, is using the art guard pen. And you say, because you know there must have been a lot of forgery of, of his signature on those valuable Zen comics. Probably also the toy aisle of Toys R Us, you know, the discount. That's rack. right. 
I remember all those toys. But he predicts many more comic book pros will be on board soon. Does this take off? I don't remember ever reading no, an art guard. No. I mean, I, I want to watch the pages of Wizard to see if anybody, like, brings it up again, like, in the Market Watch section or something. But no, I, I, I've never heard of this technology. But doesn't it sound fascinating? <laughs> Side with your DNA. It's funny, because DNA obviously was not a new concept in 94, 95. But it really captured the zeitgeist because of the OJ trial. Yeah. Everybody was talking about DNA. You don't think it was Jurassic Park? Hey, I'm Mr. DNA. Maybe <laughs> a little bit. But the OJ trial was like really all about was that like, DNA. Made it were, mainstream. Yeah, there were weeks where they were just talking about DNA mm. on, like on the stand and just, you know, going into the weeds about DNA. So that's why, in my opinion, DNA was such a big deal here. All right, Michael, you are now treading into some dangerous waters with this next story. I got it. So apparently, Blob Kreifeld... <laughs> was talking publicly about the rights to publish G.I. Joe through Extreme Studios, but according to Hasbro, this is not the case. In an attempt to save face, Matt Hawkins of Extreme Studios clarifies that Hasbro was pretty confident about going with us. Blob was just letting people know what he was working on. It's reported that Mark Silvestri's Hop Cow... Okay, I read that right. Top Cow, yes, was also in the running for the G.I. Joe license, but has stopped pursuing the project. It's interesting that Blob finally made his G.I. Joe dream come true in 2021 with his Snake Eyes miniseries, though some listeners have DM'd us to report that it was definitely not worth the wait, even for the art, or maybe in spite of the art. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. I was like, people are just offering that up to us. They're like, by the way, that Snake Eyes series, not so good. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I'm sure he still sold a lot of copies, though. He knows how to make that money. Sticking with the Extreme Studios news, more corrections of premature announcements. With the news last issue that Blob planned to cut down the number of books he was publishing after the Extreme Sacrifice crossover event, instead, in classic Blyfeld fashion, Hold on here. This is the like <laughs> this, I said Kreifeld is what I said. <laughs> this is some come on here. <laughs> well, I can just pronounce it incorrectly, like so many people do. Right, call him Leefeld. Oh, here's what I think. I think we should not talk about him at all. <laughs> but there's so much the, news. He's, until he's, uh, we get to Captain America with with the whatever Heroes the hell. Reborn. Yeah. Yeah. The, the laundry rack. I can't of. help it. I mean, he, he's dominating these pages. We thought we could escape. <laughs> can we, just, can we just add bleeps whenever he says his name. There we no, go. No, no, no. This is this is too much. It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of Bob Kreifeld right now. We, we, we have to jump into his excess because what he's doing here is he's launching even more titles. Originally, he announced he was cutting down the number of books that he was producing. And now he is adding something called the New Order, which is this initiative that is expanding. So he's giving existing books new creative teams. So Jim Valentino is going to write Youngblood. Chuck Dixon, Stephen Platt will relaunch Profit with a new number one. Joe 
Duffy is going from writing Catwoman to writing Wonder Woman, well, the Wonder Woman ripoff, Glory, with art by former Wonder Woman artist Mike Diodato Jr. Marv Wolfman is going to write Brigade as an Avengers-style team book, and Keith Giffen is writing the Legend of Supreme book, as well as the relaunch of Dave Cockrum's Futurians that was rumored many issues back. Plus, Alan Moore, of all people, is writing a Bad Rock Violator miniseries, and Bad Rock is getting a miniseries out of this. Uh, now, new character titles that no one will buy or care about include Nightmare, like a knight in shining armor, Nightmare by Marat Michaels, about mafia families with nuclear weapons, and okay. Mark V, about a talisman that transforms someone into an unlikely hero. Yes? <laughs> there it is. There it is, all right. There it is. (laughs) Great. And he's launching new cartoon shows that no one ever sees and hears of because they never get made. Wait, who are we talking about again? I forgot. Blob Kreifeld. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, Let's move on from that, uh, you know, person. So finally, Steve and Cindy Vance have left their positions as editors-in-chief of Bongo Comics, owned by The Simpsons creator Matt Groening. The power couple were responsible for writing all of the Bongo books up to this point, with their last issue being Radioactive Man number six. There's no indication as to why they parted ways with Groening, but Bill Morrison will continue writing and editing in their absence. Oh, it's a sad day indeed when those original creative forces behind such a great publisher disappear. I I have a little truth story to share. A few weeks ago, I was really annoyed at myself because when we did The Simpsons issue way back and I couldn't pronounce his name, that I was like sitting there and I was talking to myself and I just kept saying the last name correctly and incorrectly repeatedly over and over again. And I started writing it down and sounding it out so I would say it right in the future. So if I was ever given another article to discuss about him, I would say it right in the future. Rhymes with staining, Matt Greening. Got it, yes. Do you, you want, do you want to get a shot at that one? You can read it again. If yeah, you if you want to say it correctly, I'll drop it in back at that episode. No. No, <laughs> no I'm good. I we should do... share this. This is how much I am invested in bettering myself for the podcast. Oh. I try to go back, way back, and try to get myself to say things right that I once said wrong. I'm kind of like quantum leaping the story. I love quantum leap. <laughs> no, you do. What? Will we be doing like special editions of the early episodes of the Wizards podcast where we we, we re-edit them? Director's so we cut. Sound, so we sound oh. less stupid. Hey, Can by the way, that? guys, I just got a notification. Blob Kreifeld just started a live video as we're recording here. So maybe we what? should. Are you following him on social media? <laughs> he didn't block us on Instagram, only Twitter. Yes. That's, but that's you, a but secret. That, that wasn't my question. <laughs> My question was, are you following him on social media? It appears that I'm still following him on social media. Why would you do that? Yeah, it's very Machiavellian on my part. But speaking of moving on here, because I think that's what we were speaking about, uh, we're getting into our table of contents. Now, this month, we have a matching set of covers for issue 42, and they are by 
none other than Alex Ross. They're just these stunning trifold murals. One features the heroes of the Marvel Universe, and the other, their dastardly archenemies, but in that style made famous by the Marvel's miniseries. And if you want to go back, folks, and listen to, like, an in-depth explanation, Brian Cunningham told us in his interview on The Wizard Files that the magazine originally was commissioned, it was just supposed to be the villain's cover, and it was going to be just the dual panel that they usually would do for a standard cover. Then they got the idea, well, let's make an actual heroes cover, but then also let's do three panels. So then they had to call Alex Ross and say, are you okay with doing the heroes? Yeah. Okay, but are you okay with adding a third panel to the villains one you already did? And so, I mean, it was just like this massive epic undertaking. So I just think it's hilarious. And they were just like, can we get more, more Alex Ross? please <laughs> I, I will say I mean I love the heroes cover but I think the, the villains cover is better in my opinion well it's more dramatic for sure it's much more dramatic the the darkness is kind of cool I don't know there's something about the villains cover that looks really really cool I also don't love spider-man's kind of baggy costume <laughs> a little loose fitting on him that it's is homemade. true actually yeah you are seeing a few little ripples and folds as he's bent over i had initially when i first bought this in the 90s i had the heroes cover but since then i've acquired the villains cover so that's what i'm looking at now who's that big red guy is that mephisto yeah yeah definitely michael do you want to tell them about about our bet with mephisto sure if i'm right i'm saying it now on this podcast I truly believe that Doctor Strange in the next Spider-Man movie is, in fact, Mephisto in disguise. That is my theory. And my theory is everyone has said that about every Marvel thing in the last year, that it's Mephisto. And there's no way it's Mephisto. <laughs> and, and we're betting a $20 action figure? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes. All right, good. There's so many bets. There's so much currency being exchanged on this show. <laughs> we are hardcore gamblers. Yeah, we have a Wizards problem. <laughs> Don't take me to Atlantic City. I'll, I'll put it all on black and, and, uh, and <laughs> run it all on Mephisto. I don't think they take those bets at Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> Mephisto's the villain. It's Mephisto. I promise you that. It's 10 to 1 odds. Give me <laughs> But uh, speaking of Alex Ross, Art Imitates Life is the first big interview with Alex Ross in Wizard Magazine after he had made that splash with Marvels in 1994. And regarding painted superhero comics, Ross says, quote, It seemed like such an obvious move for a painter to make. I was surprised no one had pursued it. Explaining how he got his concept pitch for Marvels to his future collaborator, Kurt Busick, Ross states that he had actually originally gotten connected with Kurt on a Marvel comic called Open Space? A book I've never heard of from Marvel. Open Space. And then years later, he showed him the proposal for Marvels, but his idea was like a random collection of short segments featuring as many characters as he could from the Marvel Universe. But Busick said, no, I don't want to edit that because he thought it needed a narrative. So he suggested showing the heroes and villains from the point of view of normal citizens, which is what they went with. And Ross notes that the reason he left Spider-Man as a 
a non-speaking character that's always viewed from a distance in the story was that when he first saw the character on the electric company it was played by a silent actor that was literally his introduction to spider-man was on that tv show and then when he started reading the comics he hated peter parker as the alter ego because he explained that he felt like peter parker was just like he's not heroic he's not cool in his normal life that was his justification as a kid for why he couldn't possibly be a good spider-man so they intentionally had the main character phil sheldon in marvels share his disdain for parker during the story to reflect alex ross's own thoughts so very interesting behind the scenes there uh but now he and Busick are working on kingdom come for dc with a story of the dc universe 20 years in the future that he says is never going to happen but quote i'm in the most glorious position for a fanboy ever to be in and that really is alex ross's painting has just got him control of the big dogs so many times for both publishers and rightly so i mean that artwork is just gorgeous it's some of my favorite comic book stuff but what's great is he loves the characters and his stories are good because I think everybody thinks of him as just the artist but he is the guy that comes up with the concepts for all his projects so whether it's like Earth X which we've talked about in our videos like one of my favorite series he ever did that was all him saying what if this happened what if this happened in the future or he did that other one I'm trying to remember the name of it right now what was the one that was basically super friends but a little bit more serious Justice? Yeah Justice yeah Yeah Justice is a good really 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 good i've never read earth x and i want to read it so bad because it just looks beautiful and i've and i've always wanted to get into it what i find very interesting though the picture they have of alex ross in this magazine he's got this really long flowing mullet and this <laughs> scruffy beard and no glasses but when you see him today like he's got you know very short shaved head he's you know lost a lot of hair and he he's got glasses he looks more nerdy now than he does then <laughs> i just find it so funny i'm like he he went the wrong way <laughs> like a lot of times you see nerdy guys they start out nerdy then they become famous and wealthy and they become the reverse of that <laughs> That's how we know he's one of us. Come on. What's really interesting is is this image that opens the article, this like DC heroes yeah. in the 90s image. I've never seen this image before. And it was re really because really I had a poster of this oh, on wow. my wall in middle school. I think I got it from Heroes World. Like it was mass marketed. And yeah, I, I had I mean, I was a huge fan of Kyle Rayner and still I am. So I just love the way he's coming into this, uh, I this painting. I shouldn't tell you that Prime Studios, a, a big statue company, probably the most expensive statue company, just announced a 1-6 scale Kyle Rayner, and it looks unbelievable. I'm, like, afraid to send it to you because it's, oh, boy. You, oh, you, I, <laughs> I've seen it. Uh, my my world lit up. Your brain might melt. This thing is it's beautiful. Like, wow. Ron really Mars cool. retweeted it, and it looks incredible. Yeah, it's awesome. What's it going for? Five ninety nine, something like that. How many bets do I have to win with you to get that one? <laughs> Let, let's see how the movie does in the festivals, and, and we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> how many? But like, let's just go back to Mephisto. How many Marvel movies are coming out? Twenty dollars a pop. Hmm. <laughs> Eventually, you'll be right. But Eventually. I play the odds. It's a long game. You may get about 200 bucks out of me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're almost there. We're almost there. Hey, Steven, why don't you read this next item here? Okay. Hold on. Let me pull my thing. Damage control. Damage control. Damage control. 
So the psychic don't hunt. Steven, Steven do thing. not pull your thing. <laughs> don't say pull Whatever my you thing. do. I know I know it's your your little rusty coming back, but that's not what this show is about. <laughs> Wrong podcast, pal. <laughs> All right. Grow up, you two. This is not Beavis and Butthead. We're not doing that issue again. This is an issue for regular people. Uh, so the Psychic Hotline is a piece of nonsense inspired by the explosion of 90s commercials for call-in psychic readings, represented by celebrities such as singer Dionne Warwick, and in this case, Latoya Jackson, Michael's little sister. Jim McLaughlin and Andrew Carden spoke to a psychic named Dallas and asked about future events in the world of comics to get the scoop before anyone else. They asked questions about whether or not Lois and Clark's engagement would lead to marriage in the comics. And Dallas said, my cards show a high probability that it will not. <laughs> okay. Whether Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four was really dead, she said, my cards show over a 90% probability that he will be coming back. Ding, ding. Uh, whether Hal Jordan would become Green Lantern again? Yeah, and it will be caused by an innocent relationship that somehow takes him back. I would assume it's a woman or a female child, perhaps. What? Is, is that what happened? I don't that think is, so. not exactly what happened. <laughs> no. How, well, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll just keep going. Why Alfred just took off from Wayne Manor? He's in a state of fear because the law is after him, so to speak. They think he did something wrong. And it was really set up by one of Bruce Wayne's foes. It's not a bad guess. It's, you know. It should be a pretty cool story. Yeah. And most interesting, whether Mary Jane and Peter Parker were really having a baby. No, she is not pregnant. I think we're dealing with a pseudo-pregnancy here. Wow. Wow, interesting. Wrong. Wrong. I, I mean, I do love Mayday Parker personally. I think that's a great character and still very underutilized to this day, personally. Yeah, we, we need to talk to Bob Winters on that one, because, like, I know there was something weird that happened with, like, the baby, like, disappeared. Didn't, like, Norman Osborn, like, steal the baby for testing? Like, there was some weird thing that happened yeah. in the 616 Do you need me to reach out to him right now? Let me, let me ask him. There you text him and get back to us. There were some weird things. But I have to say, though, do you remember these Psychic Hotline, like, late-night commercials with Dion Warwick? Of like, course. I remember them vividly. And I was just like, I kind of preferred Miss Cleo personally. <laughs> I like Miss Cleo better. Miss Cleo was a crook. They all were. That's <laughs> questionable in, in their psychic abilities. We, <laughs> for UFO Club, we did record a fake psychic commercial for when the characters are watching TV. And that was one of the most fun things to write. And my wife, Annie, recorded the audio for it. So look out for that. How about it? Stay tuned. Now, uh, Steady As She Goes is an interview with Billy Tucci about his She comic series, which has been massively popular and critically acclaimed for being not just another scantily clad bad girl heroine. Tucci says that his background is not in comics, but film, literature, and he also had time as a fashion designer, which is why he thinks his work stands out. Tucci also shares stories of going to get his work critiqued at conventions, where DC editors told him to draw more like certain artists who were working for them, which he said caused him to become, quote, just a clone of a hundred other guys online. So, he wrote She as a movie script, then adapted it to a comic through his own imprint, Crusade Comics, and was astonished at how popular the first two issues were. Uh, the poster in this issue is literally titled Bad Girls, and features She, drawn by Mark Silvestri, who, and then she's flanked by Cy 
Skyblade, who is then drawn by Billy Tucci, so they're sharing characters there. And then another character named Tempest from Cyberforce, who is drawn by Billy Tan. And uh, just a little fun fact for you here as well, this is the first feature article by our friend of the show and former Wizard Online editor over at Comic Book School, Buddy Scalera. Really? So this is his first big piece that he got to do in Wizard. I checked with him. He's like, oh yeah! <laughs> By the way, he's doing some great things over at his comic book school YouTube channel. If you guys want to check that out, he's pulling all this swag and stuff he collected over the years of working at Wizard, and he's showing off different things, you know, each video. So he he is like one of the nicest people. He's just like a genuine, giving, caring person. He's just a, he's a cool dude. I really really enjoy interacting with him, and I will tell you as well, Billy Tucci, super nice guy, constantly commenting on our posts on Twitter. He loves seeing all the wizard stuff he's always like this was such good times oh i forgot about this so i finally i gotta know about she because i've only heard good things and so i finally bought the trade paperback of the first series how do you even find that like how is that like was it just like on ebay i guess yeah i mean, I, I thought that she comics would be super expensive uh they're not currently very expensive <laughs> <laughs> but so i was actually able to pick it up for a fairly affordable price and uh there's actually another edition that was like a revised edition that I passed on. I may still pick up a copy of the first issue because that was just one of those wall books right in the 90s it was always behind the counter you just look at it and say someday maybe but what is in that book i never knew now i'll know and uh michael why don't you lead us into the next item here the next item is titled a new hope is an exploration of what dark horse has been doing with the star wars expanded universe in comic book form droids is the prequel to the first Star Wars film starring R2-D2 and C-3PO, while Star Wars Dark Empire takes place several years after Return of the Jedi, it's mentioned that all the stories down to the dialogue have been approved by Lucasfilm, but the writers and artists state there hasn't been much interference with their ideas. That's kind of interesting. Star Wars Tales of Moss Eastley? Most Eisley. Come on. (laughs) I am probably the least Star Wars knowledgeable person in in this band of merry men here. Like, I... Merry Men. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm well, judging tired. by how many uh, Star Wars movies that Steven waited in line for for hours, I think you're right. <laughs> I I did work on um that Star Wars fanboys movie back in the day. I did I did some editing for that movie. That's my claim to fame there. That's a hell of a claim to fame. Yeah, it's a it's a good movie. I I've seen the earlier cuts before the bastardized version that they released the earlier ones were much better anyway i digress so this most Eisley or whatever is a series exploring the various patrons of the infamous cantina and there's even an adaptation of the original expanded universe book splinter of the mind's eye by alan dean foster which this I do know a lot about. I've actually read a lot about that story, and I, I find it very, very interesting. And yeah. it bums me out that they didn't go with that storyline in the movies, but whatever. It's just you know. yeah. I mean, I that's actually of all of these, that's the one I kind of wanted to check out because I have that book, I've read that book, and I'm like, I'd love to see it in a graphic format. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, this month, the drawing board section features the entries in the Design a Madman costume contest announced in Wizard number 33 with the winners judged by Mike Allred. So, Adam, how many submissions did you send in? <laughs> See, this, I wasn't reading Madman. I feel bad. I would have had uh, plenty of ideas. I'm sure you would have. <laughs> but I definitely remember seeing these back in the day, but somebody who these days is even more excited about it is our own Steven Sapella. So, Steven, why don't you take us through this real quick and just give us your thoughts. Okay, so I remember this vividly from when this issue first came out because I was obsessed with the Wonder Bread Madman submission by Tyler Reagan of, of uh, British Columbia, Canada. It's Awesome. So basically, he just took I recognize this still. I'm sure you do do as well, Adam, from one of the early comics, right? The pose. Yeah, where he's in front of a long mirror. Yeah. But it's just it's covered in like those Wonder Bread, you know, red, yellow and blue dots. And and Mike Allred says, uh, I ate Wonder Bread when I was a kid. For nostalgic reasons, I like this piece. And <laughs> so much so did I love this that re- like within the last few months, I was tweeting at Mike Allred asking him to make an action figure of it. And he was even entertaining the notion. So, yeah, that that's like my favorite of this section. The winner was from Greg Story, and it looks like a giant robotic madman. Yeah, it definitely looks like it would be at home at the in the uh, Big Guy and Rusty the Robot series that Frank Miller yeah. and Jeff Darrow were doing. It's Iron Madman. Sort of. The cool thing about it is that Madman has Pez missiles, which I always thought was awesome. Like, that's a really cool feature to add. And he won, like, a really sweet drawing of Madman, like his version, from Mike Allred. So that's a hell of a prize. Yeah, it's really neat. And yeah, so we'll definitely be posting these on social media. But it's a very cool idea that you could actually design a costume. And Steven loves this Wonder Bread costume. And I was recently watching a videotape that I hunted down called Nine and a Half Ninjas. (laughs) It claims to be the world's like first martial arts erotic comedy. So it's a parody of Nine and a Half Weeks? Yeah, a parody of Nine and a Half Weeks. It's terrible. It's not funny. But it does have the dad. Well, not the dad. It's not Kurtwood Smith. It's it's Donna's dad from that 70s show. So he's uh, in it. It also has Tiny Lister. Everybody loves Tiny Lister. But anyway, so it's, it's an interesting movie that's not funny. But it does have a scene with a Wonder Bread ninja. The main character is a white guy who is trained in martial arts, and so his ninja outfit is Wonder Bread. It literally says Wonder Bread on the back, and it has all the dots. Like, that was the only funny thing in the movie. It cracked me up. Can we just get the Wonder Bread Madman figure already? Come on. I'm asking once again. Happy Halloween, geeks! Yes, the spooky season is upon us, and have we got a treat for you. How about 20% off at HalloweenCostumes.com? Why HalloweenCostumes.com? Because they have the biggest and best selection of costumes, accessories, and decorations for your Halloween celebration. No kidding. They have the absolute best-looking She-Hulk and Rogue costumes we've seen anywhere, and many more amazing costumes exclusive to HalloweenCostumes.com. For the fellas, there's Jim Lee-style Cyclops and Gambit, Your choice of Wolverine in classic blue and yellow or the brown costume complete with arm hair? Huh? They've got you covered for DC heroes too with the classic Shazam, the dynamic duo of Adam West Batman and Yvonne Craig Batgirl, 
or even a CW Green Arrow. Whether you want comics accurate or ripped from the silver screen, their enormous selection of costumes and accessories has you covered. Best of all, you can get these costumes for a great price by using the link in the episode description. Yes, your buddies at Wizards are hooking you up. Just click the link and a 20% discount will automatically be applied to one item in your cart. The offer is valid through November 6th, 2021. So get on it, geeks, and visit HalloweenCostumes.com. I have an update from Bob Winters. On Spider-Man, okay, the Spider-Baby saga. The Spider-Baby thing. So Bob Winters says, he says, the one more day storyline mucked that up pretty good. In one universe, she grows up and becomes Spider-Girl, which was great. But in the 616 universe, they make that deal with Mephisto so that Peter and MJ never got married, which kind of suggested that MJ never got pregnant. No definitive answers, as far as I'm aware. The baby pulled a Chuck Cunningham. Oh, there you go. For those Happy Days fans out there. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> you texted him in the middle of the show? Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's on call. For all Spider-Man info. Uh, But speaking of costumes, they also have a piece in here by the wizard staffers, credited to all those wacky guys over there, called Clothes Make the Man. It is a look into the dazzling wardrobe of Gotham's Dark Knight detective. And Michael, as our resident Batman expert, which of these stood out to you the most? Because the uh, few that they highlight here are the Bat Ombre, where you see that he has a mustache on uh, with the cowl, and maybe upon they don't show a full body shot but he goes caramba the bird's claws have torn my uniform (laughs) and then there's rainbow batman and you have alfred saying a rainbow costume i give up i can't see why on earth he'd wear such things And then you have King Batman, or he's just got, you know, his cape is fur-lined and he's got a crown. And finally, Armored Batman, where he is a knight in shining armor, but he is unseen by crooks by traveling underwater in the armor. So it's it's waterproof? It's it's a diving helmet, too? I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy. But are you familiar with any of these Silver Age looks for Batman, Michael? First, all I can say is the 50s and the 60s were a weird time. But... <laughs> The Bat Ombre I've seen before, the Armored Batman I've seen before, and I think they made it into a Funko Pop at one point or another. The Rainbow Batman has an interesting story behind it, and I know this story because I used to have the Funko Pop as well, but I sold it. There's a story that takes place where Robin breaks his arm, and Batman decides to wear all these different multicolored costumes to distract the villains from Robin so that Robin couldn't shown weak or had his vulnerability of his broken arm. <laughs> so the villains would have their attention drawn only to Batman. And then at the climax of the story, this rainbow colored suit comes out. And that's sort of how he defeats the bad guys. Cause he's there. They're so distracted by his rainbow colored suit that, <laughs> that, that Robin is able to outsmart them as well. That is a great tactic there, Batman. It's like the anti camouflage. Rainbow Batman is pretty awesome, I have to say. (laughs) They actually did it, um, I think, some sort of variation of it in that Batman Brave and the Bold show a couple years back. Oh, I think, yeah. How could they resist? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they they do play on that trope at one point in the show, which is, it's pretty good. It's pretty awesome, I'm not going to lie. That's whenever someone makes fun or, like, you know, uh, talks about how awful the Batman and Robin movie was in 97, and, you know, he has a back credit card and a bad ice skate. You, you mean me? Like, yeah, well, I'm just like, well, what do you think Batman 
was for the majority of his run. <laughs> like, it was a really goofy comic. So, it's a good movie. <laughs> Speaking of uh, a comic that could use some laughs, Moonshot is an independent biographical comic about the 1969 Apollo 12 space mission from the perspective of Charles Pete Conrad Jr. How do you go from Charles to Pete? I don't know. But it gets a full review for some reason. I think Wizard at this point is just in the mindset of making changes, was trying to get respect by showing the breadth of comics, you know, things that could exist in the medium but this story sounds like a snooze i only read half the article and i usually go through these things with a fine tooth comb yeah, you go through every page as if it's bible so if, <laughs> if you got bored of it that's not good yeah that i was is... just like there's no way anybody read this comic after reading this article i mean i was just like ah no thank you but much more interesting is the interview called crossing the line with keith giffen it's about the ups and downs of his career which is really a perfect description when you think about it because he is a self-taught artist who just dropped off his portfolio at marvel one day and it was given to john ramita senior who wanted to hire giffen but as a kid he forgot to put any contact information in the packet <laughs> luckily he showed up the next day after they had been trying to find him somehow and they gave him a job then after also getting work at dc so he was like kind of you know getting his foot in the door he became very unprofessional and he became unhirable at either publisher and he ended up as a door-to-door -door vacuum salesman and repo man <laughs> <laughs> then he came back around and apologized to dc got back in their good graces and ended up writing legion of superheroes where he became a, a fan favorite for years and then he got forced to alter a great storyline at some point which then made the legion fans hate him so he was like beloved and then he was hated and he's like but he explains in this article he's like but really it was gonna do this and it was gonna do this and the interviewer's like oh that would have been much better he's like yeah <laughs> it wasn't my fault but luckily his work on justice league where he added humor to the book made him a favorite again in the eyes of fans so he's just a roller coaster keith giffen have you guys ever read any of those issues of that justice league team of batman and guy gardner and shazam and dr fate and blue beetle and martian manhunter and i saw some today in a thrift store and i was like i should buy these and i didn't because i'm like this is not in our timeline right now but i was like i need to just read them it's fantastic stuff like this is it's this is sort of where justice league international gets spawned out of it's it's a lot of fun and Kevin McGuire art. Yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, great great covers in those. But speaking of this era, like the hot characters, Keith Giffen created Lobo, guys. Okay, he created Lobo, quote, as an indictment of the sort of mindlessly violent characters you find in too many comics, and instead, he became a role model for him. <laughs> and Lobo was actually formed out of a character he had created before he went pro called Lunatic, L-U-N-A-T-I-K. And now, he is that Marvel actually writing a character called Lunatic at this time. As like a backup story Marvel Comics presents, I have one of those issues. Very similar to his other book that was self-published for a while and was with Image until he got dropped, which was called Trencher. They all kind of look the same. But he also created wacky characters at DC, like Ambush Bug, based on a real bug indigenous to New Jersey. Michael, you used to live in Jersey. Ambush Bugs? Anywhere? I only remember cicadas okay <laughs> <laughs> 
But he also tried again with a disastrous failure I remember seeing in quarter bins forever, The Heckler. Anybody? The Heckler? No, no, no. He's very yellow. He basically looks like a yellow version of The Impossible Man from Fantastic Four and The Riddler, if you mix them up with a yellow color scheme. Uh, But anyway, plus he's doing a crap ton of work in Image of Dark Horse that we don't need to get into. The bottom line is Keith Giffen was incredibly prolific as a comics professional who was on the rise and then just like yeah just hit after hit then every once in a while just like all right well he's just working but (laughs) he did pretty well for himself but speaking of a character we might like to see in the movie someday when do we get that lobo movie steven why don't you take us into heroes in motion So, rumors continue to swirl around a live-action Punisher TV series starring a female Punisher character played by martial artist Sophia Crawford, who plays the in-costume Pink Ranger on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. In a very detailed plot synopsis, we're told the show revolves around Frank Castle seemingly dying in the opening scene, which causes the mentally unstable female character to pick up the mantle and automatic weapons to blow away the bad guys. The Castle character does reemerge, but is told to back off as she is now the Punisher. Apparently, an unnamed WWF wrestler has agreed to play the role of Frank Castle. Who could that have been? Isn't that crazy? That's pretty crazy. Who do you think it would have been? So this was 95. Are they thinking like Kevin Nash or somebody like no, that? Like that's I, where I, actually my brain did go to Kevin Nash. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't work, but is that who I they were really Razor trying to Ramon? push? Ooh. Possibly. Possibly. Scott Hall's the Punisher. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Roddy Piper did have a lot of acting experience at this point and was doing this level of of content. That's true, yeah, B-level uh, action films. I don't think Bret Hart would have... He wasn't really acting yet. Yeah, pretty soon, though. Uh, the Simpsons. <laughs> and, like, Lonesome Dub or something, or no? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so possibly? You know who it probably was? Doink the Clown. <laughs> What are the bushwhackers? <laughs> yeah, Luke. It was Luke. Oh, Butch man. didn't have the that, range. That, that was a that was a good time for wrestling, man. That was a good. Those are the golden age. Not of wrestling. according to wrestling fans, yeah. but <laughs> it, it, was, it was Bastion Booger. Bastion Booger as Punisher. I, I would have watched it. <laughs> The Legion of Doom, man, come on. Whenever they yeah. came on, I, I was glued to the TV. No, man, I was a diehard wrestling fan, but this was really a, a rough time. <laughs> Early 95? Ugh. <laughs> gimmicks and comics, gimmicks of the ring. Yeah, not great. Uh, anyway, The Max was adapted as a short segment on, M- on MTV's Oddities animated anthology show and proved so popular that the cable network combined the segments into 30-minute episodes and gave The Max its own time slot. Of course, these proved to be one of the most memorable animated shows on MTV in the 90s. Yeah, this was a big deal. MTV was doing what Adult Swim was doing long before. Like, I feel like it was before that could even be a thing. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, these adult cartoons. You know, they had the Max. They had Eon Flux. Like, this was... This was a good time for for cartoons that were of a mature content, and it was cool. Well, I, I watched the guy with the big head. 
What was that? Was the, that head. the head. The head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 That was a good one. I watched that too. Yeah. What never appears on any network, however, is Cyberforce from Mark Silvestri, who is rumored to not only have an animated series in the works, but an offer for a live-action primetime TV show. Neither of which would come to fruition. Who cared about Cyberforce? Luckily, Silvestri eventually published Witchblade and The Darkness, and hired Michael Turner or Top Cow. Would have been toast by the year 2000. Now, Michael, you, you seemed perplexed by the fact that his studio was called Top Cow. Have you never heard of that studio? No, I haven't. <laughs> no, this, this was breaking news for me. But you heard of Witchblade and the Darkness, yeah, yes? Yes, of course. I mean, I used to watch the Witchblade show, nonetheless. And, uh-huh. uh, but I didn't know that they were published under Top Cow. I thought maybe it was like a, like a dark horse. or. Well, while you were gone, there was actually a contest where Mark Silvestri was asked the readers of wizard to pick a new name for his studio <laughs> and then in the fine print wizard's like what don't change it they said it's hilarious and you got the earth and it has utters as your symbol like that's hilarious and of course he kept it and the rest is history and there you go yeah. uh so mantis was renewed by fox for another full 22 episode season in 1995 because it did so well with males ages 18 to 35 while a doctor who tv movie is rumored which eventually ends up on that same network the following year i remember both of these pretty well so mantis was picked up for a full season after the tv movie and they completely changed everything that worked about the tv movie Mm -hmm. and made it not good not good yeah that that tv movie was awesome oh my god it's so good yeah yeah the the show was not i I think i watched maybe the first five episodes of the show and i was like this is this is not as good as the movie i'm I'm out yeah yeah totally ruined it so regarding film rumors dark horse comics says paul chadwick has completed his first draft for a concrete film while art adams monkey man and o'brien is in development along with mike allred madman film none of these projects ever make it to production what a bummer on madman though oh man so many people have been attached to it also you know it's gonna be robert rodriguez and all this stuff it would have been great I'm telling you, these movie ideas that didn't get made then, now may be their time. There's so many artists and writers and whatever that are selling their stuff to studios to get it made on streaming platforms or whatever. We may eventually see a Madman movie. Who knows? Mike Allred may call Steven Sapel and say, hey, you want to direct my Madman movie? (laughs) You never know. It could happen. And I'll say, you can do better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Uh, yeah, I'll write it. Uh, He doesn't need my help writing. He's amazing. Uh, The Ask the Pro sidebar in Magic Word asks, Hey, Neil Adams, are you ever going back to Batman? To which the famed artist replies, As a matter of fact, I'm doing the style guide for Batman forever. (laughs) Yes. I didn't know he was involved there. You know, I sent you a book, Stephen, you know, that's kind of like the behind the scenes making of. Does it mention anything about Neil Adams in that book? I don't think so. Would he have done like all that stuff that you saw on, you know, actually you just sent us a picture today in the Facebook chat, like the board game. Would that have been him? That's what I'm wondering. Like, was he just involved like on character designs or, you know, like because he's saying style guides. So like just the whole look of the film was all his idea. I guess so. I mean, it could have just been like you know they had the production designers and then people were interpreting that for the other merchandise yeah okay like the, you know, the, maybe not that maybe but yeah like you know like you know the board game and uh like storybooks like i know jose luis garcia lopez did some of that stuff for uh batman and robin the great film batman and robin uh that michael loves so yeah <laughs> oh, we yeah, should look yeah, into yeah. that oscar worthy you know it's cutting it's edge ba- cinema it's better than the Zack Snyder stuff. Moving on. 
<laughs> Casting Call 2 is Wizard's attempt to cast a live-action Spider-Man movie directed by John McTiernan of Die Hard and Predator fame. Oh, man. I, so this, cool. this was always one of my favorite sections in Wizard, uh, and I'm eager to dive into this. So let's go through these casting decisions here. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting, their choice for Peter Parker, because, you know, when James Cameron was talking about making the movie, we're hearing Leonardo DiCaprio or Eddie Furlong, you know, some young upstairs start kid but they seem to be saying no 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 what's peter like in the comics these days by suggesting the one and only john cusack as peter parker what do you guys think about that i don't hate it (laughs) i don't hate it at all i like john cusack yeah he is the everyman kind of you know say anything just kind of the loser Uh, trying to make his way in the world god love that movie yeah. <laughs> Who would you suggest, Stephen? Who of this era do you feel like? Jeez, yeah. That's that. That is what's tough. Is there's not a lot of great options. I don't know. Honestly, if if he wasn't Robin in Batman Forever, Chris O'Donnell might have been a pretty good uh, Peter Parker. No. What? don't think so no he's too pretty but he doesn't have like that sadness you know that doesn't come through in chris o'donnell you know like this like deep pain behind the eyes i don't think he has more like like like, like a christian slater kind of a guy Ooh, christian slater i mean not christian slater he's too although he's got the smart alex side to him the costume would have been good all these choices are a little too little too old that's true yeah how old was slater at this point i mean he's got to be like late in 20s his, i would say yeah, either late 20s or maybe early 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 30s yeah, he was 24 actually at this point really when's pump up the volume that's wasn't yeah. it the 80s? you know who would have been interesting but i don't know i don't think he had passed away by this point what about somebody like river phoenix oh uh, river phoenix would have been awesome he would yeah. have been amazing yeah he would have been great but you know who would have actually been pretty good as a peter parker speaking of 80s movies what's his name from the brat pack who was in that uh the dead zone show um Anthony Michael Hall? Yeah. Oh. He's so nerdy no. looking then. Oh, man. <laughs> no. Come no. on. Vetoed. No, I, don't, I don't see it. All right, moving on. Moving on. We got to get Mary Jane, you know, that girl that is way out of Peter's league, but somehow he married her anyway. Mary Jane Watson, they're suggesting supermodel Cindy Crawford. Who can't act. Yeah, Fair Game showed that she couldn't really act. Yeah, I, I just bought Fair Game on VHS. I just found <laughs> it in a thrift store. I'm going to find out for myself <laughs> all these years. I mean, the other one that I was thinking, but I just also watched Bordello of Blood, and it's no good either, is Angie Everhart. She was another one of those models turned actress. And yeah, you just, I mean, at this time, I don't know what, what role Mary J would have played in the plot, right? It's like, they don't have to be a redhead because you can just dye their hair, right? But it's kind of like you want somebody i mean personally just because it would be more fun and she has the attitude i feel like like the party girl is heather locklear would have been a really fun mary jane but no <laughs> honestly you probably could have gotten somebody like like a jennifer aniston who would have been huge because of friends and stuff like that just barely i mean 94 is when friends yeah. launched yeah. So. No, but, like, no, but like she would have been cheap to get you know hmm. yeah she'd been in leprechaun what about molly <laughs> ringwald most famous redhead uh, at that point but I don't know if she she doesn't have like everybody's expecting like a knockout, you know, like oh. a legendary beauty to play. And Molly Rigwald is beautiful. She's very cute. But I don't think she's the style they were looking for at this time. What about Christina Applegate? Yeah, Christina Applegate. That would be good. <laughs> Another good don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Loving it. 
Yeah. Like a Jennifer Love Hewitt would have been a good one, too. Oh, but she was like 13. Yeah. <laughs> she was like no. Kids Incorporated still at this time. Was yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of oh, later, I guess. All right. She, she yeah, was like, in Little Miss Millions at that point, which has uh, the support <laughs> trailer, if you want to pick the VHS. It all comes back to Little Miss Millions. <laughs> all so right. Now, next up here, speaking of people who maybe can't act, and I also just picked up a VHS of his one and only movie turn for Venom, a.k.a. Eddie Brock. They want the L.A. Raider defensive end and commentator Howie Long. No. Because he's the only person that can pull off a flat top. That was, that was it, yeah. That's it. That's it. No. First it's of just all, the look. are you saying that Firestorm is his one and only movie? Yes. Are you forgetting about Broken Arrow? Oh, yes. really? I didn't know I just, he was in that. I was literally just thinking about Broken Arrow this morning. It's so funny you bring that up. <laughs> You're always thinking of Broken Arrow, Michael. Oh, come on. It's Be like, honest. And we just referenced Christian Slater, too. It's it's just funny. But, like, for crazy, if we're going Broken Arrow, then why not get Travolta as Venom? Would you He's mind crazy. not shooting at the thermonuclear the weapons? <laughs> <laughs> just think about it. I mean, Tom Hardy's a quirky choice. I don't know what's scarier. The fact that we lost a nuclear weapon, or that it happened so much that we have a term for it. <laughs> God, that movie sucks. I'm, that was a second rated art movie I saw in theaters. Not great. You know, the character of Dr. Octopus showing up in that Spider-Man movie trailer. Here, they got somebody that is going to make Michael cringe. They wanted <laughs> Larry Drake Durant from Dark Man. Oh. He's also from LA Law, but mostly from Dark Man. But you know what? He would be probably right on for this time period for that character. I would support that vote. Yeah, I gotta say, this casting was so dead on that anytime I saw any other casting for Doc Ock, like rumored, I was like, no, it's gotta be Larry Drake. He's perfect. It really does seem like it would fit wonderfully for him, you know, because I think Roy Orbison had passed away by this point, because otherwise you just get Roy Orbison. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's funny because Sam Raimi did go on to obviously direct the Spider-Man movies and he had a relationship with Larry Drake, but... I think by that point, he would have been, like, too old for it. Yeah, and Alfred Molina. We don't want to miss out on him. Alfred Molina is fantastic. So this next one, though, this is somebody who ended up in the MCU, but I don't know if I agree with this casting at all, because for J. Jonah Jameson, again, based solely on a flat top, is Michael Douglas from Falling Down. It could have worked. It could have worked. I mean, Michael Douglas has incredible range as an actor that he could play anything, and I could see it. I mean, he has the curmudgeonly nature, but I just, I don't, because he's so nasally, I always feel like J. Jonah Jameson is much more gruff, and I don't get that, except for maybe modern day Michael Douglas could do it, but back then, he was only like 40. Yeah, also he was a a massive movie star at this point, so I don't think he would have been doing third or fourth banana in a Spider-Man movie. Unfortunately... J.K. Simmons does it so well that it's it's hard to really visualize anybody else in that role. But I can see it. Unless they got the animated series voice Ed Asner, R.I.P. Ed Asner. I was thinking Ed Asner. Yeah, that would have been great. That would have been cool. For Robbie Robertson, you know, J. Joe Jameson's second in command, Robert Guillaume. They say best known lead character TV's Benson. I know him from the Gene Simmons Rutger Hauer film. Wanted dead or alive. Uh, uh, yeah, he would have been great. Yeah, he would have been awesome. For Aunt May, they wanted Jessica Tandy. She was their first choice, but she was dead. Sorry, Miss Daisy. Push it up, Daisies. So they decided to go instead for Catherine Hepburn. Not timid enough to play an Aunt May, but depending on how they were writing her for the film, could have worked, I guess. 
I mean, I was trying to think like who's another old lady up there. I mean, Betty White is Aunt May. Estelle the, Getty. Yeah. What about the Titanic lady? Estelle Getty. <laughs> After you have Stop My Mom or Shoot, Estelle Getty was not getting cast in any movies. You know who's great, though, is their casting for Uncle Ben, which was Eddie Jones, which who's just a character actor. They're saying he was Pa Kent on Lois and Clark. I know him. He was Malcolm in The Rocketeer, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the role I know him from. But he's also great as 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 Pa Kent in Lois and Clark. He's one of the best best parts of that show. Yeah, I just started rewatching it. It it is great. Uh, Betty Brandt. They had an idea for Peter's old love interest. Why would she be in the movie? I guess they were still friends in the comics at this time. But they wanted TVs. They always talk about her being from China Beach, but we know her as Andrea, the Phantasm from Mask of the Phantasm, and Lois Lane on Superman the Animated Series, Dana Delaney. She's great in China Beach, though. She's really fantastic. (laughs) It's a fantastic show. I just uh, saw her on an episode of the Larry Sanders show. I started rewatching that again. She was funny as a guest star there. But she, too, looks a little bit too old to even have dated Peter Parker when they were younger. Yeah, depending on the age we were casting Peter at, that's true. And finally, for Flash Thompson, Bill Fagerbake, better known as Dauber from Coach. No! He's too nice to be Flash! too nice. But I love Coach, though. I love that show. (laughs) Yeah. That show! We we were just watching the Stand miniseries, and he's great in that as well. Yes, he is. But he was, he was like pushing 40 by this point. Easily. I don't know. Flash Thompson seems like he should be like. Do Howie Long as Flash Thompson. Come on. (laughs) Again. Chris O'Donnell. Come on, Chris (laughs) O'Donnell. There you go, because it's not going to be the bad guy. Yes. There you go. Uh, well, that does it. I mean, I, I think it's interesting there because they didn't really other, like, there's no Green Goblin. There's no, like, they cast, like, one villain or two, I guess. Venom, Doc Ock. Let's face it. Any superhero movie, once they go beyond two villains in the film, it becomes a bit of a mess. Like, in any movie any of them, all the time. Doc Ock teaming up with Venom. Like, that that's a weird combo, but it could be fun. I feel like because Doc Ock is such a scientist, maybe he was investigating the symbiote and, and with the arms and everything. Like, he was using the arms to, like, you know, run experiments on the symbiotes, and then one gets loose, and Eddie Brock is there doing an article or, on it, and then it, like, attacks him. There you go. Marvel, yeah. hire this guy. Come yeah. on, Sony. He'll write your Spider-Man and Venom crossover film. Don't be in a room, boys. I got a <laughs> million ideas for you. Yeah, see you now. Well, that's it for Hollywood. I say we go out over to Toys R Us and check out the toy aisles in... Azriel's action figure fury. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Well, we we have somebody who left us a review on iTunes that says they want us to get rid of the theme song by the Prodigy that we've been using for Asriel's Action Figure Furies. They they say it hurts their ears. It hurts my ears. When I had to edit a couple of episodes when you were on hiatus, it was hurting me, so I I concur. Okay, well, then I, I got an idea. We will switch it out next episode. Changes! It's all about change. But what was changing in the toy aisles, Michael? Spoon! The Tick action figures, based on the Fox animated cartoon series, are coming to stores and include The Tick, his moth sidekick Arthur, Sewer Urchin, Human Bullet, Die, 
fool a lead. <laughs> to Flyter Mouse. I don't know. Flyter Mouse. How do you even remember how to say this stuff? I love the tick. Yes, but. It was a good show. Die Flyter And I'm also mouse. part German. I, it's in me. It's in my DNA. Back to the DNA. I'm part German too, but I can't say Flyter Mouse. Die Flyter Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> American Maid and the Man-Eating Cow. Plus, bad guys like Dinosaur Neil, Death Hug Dean, El Seed, Dynamole, and 16-inch Talking Tick Figure. I gotta tell you guys, so my son, I just started reading the original Tick comics to him, and he loves it. We That's his bedtime stories. I just ordered season one of the Tick on DVD for him to watch, and I'm going to RetroCon this weekend, and I'm gonna be on the lookout for Tick action figures. He is just, he's all in on the Tick. He thinks it's hilarious. I couldn't be happier. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. So, Kenner is also releasing a new batman the animated series figures though only bane is actually a new character the others are repainted robin and batman with weapons like bola traps and whirling blades i remember these and they had like weird kind of like almost camouflagey kind of paints on them and stuff yeah. like that i remember these figures i think I always a bummer yeah, I think I have them around somewhere. It's rumored that Judge Dredd action figures based on the Sylvester Stallone movie may be accompanying the release of the film in the summer of 1995. But all that is actually released are tiny metal figurines. That's all that crappy movie deserves. <laughs> I am the law. Come on, oh I am God. the law. What, a, what an awful, awful movie. Uh, uh, my sidekick is Rob Schneider, and I, I am the law. Oh. oh, my God. You know, that movie got a lot of hype, and, you know, there's some other guys who like to spread the hype around. It's time for Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. So... Kevin Flanagan and Chad Vincent are two readers that sent in a top 10 reasons image comics are always late, which I feel is better than most of the wizard top 10s that we have read. So allow me to read this for you now. So it says, Dear Wizard, my friend and I thought we'd show some of our creativity and love of image comics with the following top 10 list. The top 10 reasons image comics are always late. Number 10. Every issue quality checked by Tony Libido himself. Heh <laughs> heh. Uh, that was their publisher. I don't know why that's funny. Number nine! <laughs> Capullo constantly spilling drinks on pages of Spawn. Ah, maybe he was a little clumsy. Number eight, McFarland's Bobby wants him home by nine. Number seven, Raging Kegger every Tuesday and Thursday. Number six, it takes time to rip off Marvel's characters. <laughs> oh. uh, number five, sometimes even... Uh, uh, uh. Sometimes even the flighter mouse has trouble getting up in the morning. Those uh, number four, those damned Marvel saboteurs. Number three, even McFarland is getting tired of Spawn. Ooh. Number two, constant fighting over the corner office. And number one, two words: McFarland diarrhea. <laughs> David Letterman move over. Kevin and Chad are in the house. Yeah, I, I don't know about that, Kevin and Chad, but good, <laughs> good, good effort. They had a few there. Now, Top's Finest 
Image Universe Founders trading card set. That, that is a mouthful. Is a 90 card set with each image founder supplying art for a certain number of the cards in the set. Plus, there are character creator cards where a photo of the artist is added to a drawing of his characters. Which means there is an official Blob Kreifeld trading card available for Michael to take to the next signing at Fourth World Comics. He will never be at Fourth World Comics. <laughs> I guarantee he'll never be there. Uh, they, but they've just recently had Peter David there, and I was bummed I couldn't make it because I wanted to talk to him and, and actually ask him about some of the past things that have been discussed in Wizard Magazine. He even remembers that stuff. So. And by the way, guys, date of this recording, it's Peter David's birthday today. Oh, happy oh, birthday. Yeah, now, the only exception to the founder contributions to this card set is Todd McFarlane, who just provided existing art from Spawn Comics because it seems he must have been too concerned Consumed, writing his ego column this month, which is devoid of any comics discussion other than McFarlane equating how he was undervalued by Marvel management and that pro hockey players have been undercompensated by NHL management, leading to the then current hockey strike, which was also going on in Major League Baseball, he mentions. Oh, so he just spends man. this whole article lamenting the fact that he can't watch the NHL on TV now. He's like, I like baseball to play. I don't like to watch it but i love watching hockey and i can't watch it what's going on here you need to pay your players better so i can watch hockey on tv i remember when these strikes were going on this was a big deal it's like we're not gonna have a world series what's gonna happen oh no like oh my god baseball's like nine hours of your life a day <laughs> now while you guys were gone i don't know if you two did but there was a major milestone issue 40 Todd surpassed Jim. Todd is in the lead, guys. Oh, so we're yeah. looking to see, is he going to stay as the front runner? So this issue, Jim Lee has two mentions. Todd has six. Ooh. And that brings our running total to Jim Lee, 253 mentions. Todd McFarlane, 260. So question Damn. for you. When someone hits a thousand, are you going to stop? Well, let me tell you something, Kennedy. You can't keep the hype machine down. The hype machine is ongoing. And all the little hypomaniacs <laughs> out there, they want to know the hype. And we're going to give it to them. So what you going to do when the hype machine runs over you, brother? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the, the math alone. Oh, my God. I can see him. You ever see those, like, guys that are old accountant guys that have that, the visor on? The, the, the big <laughs> typewriter type of calculator with a crank on it. And I can see clank. Clank. I, I got it at a thrift store. It's great. It still works. <laughs> clank, clank, clank. That is 100% where it would come from, and now you're giving me ideas. The official on. hype machine tally machine. Your next YouTube video. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see if it's in the cards for Jim Lee to rise up to Providence once again. But in the meantime, Stephen, why don't you flip through Gambit's deck of cards? So the 150-card set of 95 Flair annual Marvel cards from Fleer are the most bloated offering to date, being sold at $4 a pack in 95 money? Why? Because you're guaranteed one chase card in every pack, and there are a total of 51 chase cards. 12 Holoblast 3D hologram cards, 
12 Chromium cards, 24 Power Blast Edged Foil cards, and three Duo Blast cards that are double-sided with characters like Spider-Man and Scarlet Spider or Iron Man and War Machine. Jeez, did I have these? Yeah. It's out of control. I have these cards. They're like UV coated. Like there's like super thick card stock. Like it, it's just out of control. And this is like they are just pushing it to the limit, Marvel. I'm looking Ugh. this up. They look vaguely familiar, but I don't think I had this particular line. Yeah, we'll post an ad on social media. It'll it'll bring up like the card I remember the most is Mary Jane, and she's like in a swimsuit, but she's got like a Spider-Man print towel around her neck, and she's like standing in the water. Like that was like one of the signature cards they were promoting. I just I just pulled that up actually. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but the coloring is terrible. Steve Blackwell, the wizard lead designer there, he actually commented when we started posting some of these covers and things. He's like, ah, oh, the Fleer coloring. No. <laughs> yeah, none of these look. I don't think I had any of these. Really? Yeah, they, they're not great. So moving on. <laughs> they're not great. Marvel has also inserted six trading cards based on Spider-Man: The Animated Series into boxes of Cookie Crisp cereal. This I did get. Cookie Crisp. Cookie Crisp cereal is great. They are part of a 12-card set that can only be completed by mailing away with two proofs of purchase for the other six cards. I did not mail away, but I probably got the cards that were in the box. I do have some old ads for this that I've scanned in the past. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> like, I just want to go through your archives one day and be like, what does he have in here? And it's just going to be like old file folders and like a, yes. like a blank, you know, what they have in a library for a, looking up. Microfiche? A, no. Um, <laughs> Dewey Decimal? Dewey Decimal System. Yes, he's going through and he's got his just old. Just catalog it all? Yes, I can see you doing that. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of trading cards, this issue of Wizard comes pa- comes packed with a Lady Death Chromium card and an oversized widescreen Star Wars card. Huh. Yeah. And there's also this like really big, I think it's just like an ad. I don't know if it's supposed to be a comic, but it is a techno comics ad with characters you've never heard of. And there's also, I'll just mention, there is a God Wheel. We talked about the Ultraverse God Wheel event coming up. Well, there's like a little preview comic that came sealed in there as well. So Interesting. Wizard teases that next month they will be revealing who got the license to produce Batman Forever movie cards. Tops produced two sets each for Batman 89 and Batman Returns. Could they be returning for Batman Forever? I say no. So is that your guess? What about you, Michael? What do you think? Who got the rights? Was it Fleer? Because I, I remember, know. like, a shiny, artsy card. I have one. I have one downstairs. I yeah, when I have them in front of me here, guys. They both produced them. What? So there was a top set, and there was a Fleer 95 Ultra set. I do not know how that happened. The tops ones are five movie photo stickers, and then the eight-card pack of Batman Forever, it says one hologram inside for the Fleer 95 Ultra set. So it's like you're guaranteed that was their thing at this time. It's like, you'll always get a chase card, which makes it not a chase card anymore. You're ruining the fun. I have one that I saved, and it's actually... Remember when you could get those little little sleeves for cards back in the yeah. day? So I have a Val Kilmer Batman card. It's like a real glossy one, and the cape is kind of strewn out all the way. He's kind of like diving down. It's a really cool-looking card. I think it was Fleer. I'm pretty sure, yeah. But yeah. beautiful-looking card. I still have it somewhere in my basement. I'm surprised you didn't have all of these, Steven, with your love for Batman Forever. I had like a lot of them. I definitely did. Yeah, they were cool. 
It's hard to get all of them. Like, you know how hard it is to get a complete set of cards back then? Like, yeah, yeah. really tough. You could buy an entire box and not get a complete set of certain things. Yeah, it was very tricky for sure, man. Uh, But with that, I think it's time to close out here, guys. You know, we had a top 10 list, but let's get the official one from Wizard this time around in Turok's Top 10. So, Michael, why don't you start us off? Why do I always get the crappy ones? <laughs> I always get the crappiest ones. Okay. Wizards Top 10 New Year's Resolutions. Number 10. Free OJ. Wow. Oh, number nine. Fess up to the fact that we're single-handedly responsible for everything that's bad about the comic book industry. Ooh. Blasted back at the critics there. Number eight. Get more X-Men and Image characters on our cover. That's that's sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) That is sarcasm, yes. Okay. Number seven. Get the mysterious White Ranger on our side. Wow, they were in on the Power Rangers mystery at this time because so. Green Ranger lost his powers, became the White Ranger. You're next. Number six, eat more brains. Uh, uh, bran. Ugh. It's a reading joke. Ugh. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Number five, really start ragging on the spider clone. Well, I'm sure there, there's more to come. <laughs> By the way, people don't use the term ragging anymore, do they? Yeah, no. not very much. That was a big thing back on Long Island in the, in the 90s, I remember. Quit ragging on him, man. Yeah, ragging on him, man. <laughs> you, you ragging on me? What, you ragging on me? <laughs> Number four. Finish helipad. Wow, the Garib Shavis big cheese copter, huh? I guess so. Number three. Drink five. No, six cups of strawberry milk a day. I love strawberry milk, by the way. It is. Yeah, it's, it's really good. <laughs> oh, man. Like Nestle quick uh, strawberry milk. Oh, boy. That is the stuff. Delish. Yes. Number two. Alienate our last three female readers by continuing to use the words babe, chick, and tomato. I think say, they would have pronounced it tomato. Ah, gotta, she's a hot uh, tomato. She's a real tomato, you see. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys wanted to read it, you could have. Uh, were there three? Were there three female readers by this point? <laughs> <laughs> they had one writing into the letters column while you guys were gone, so that was proof of one. Yeah. And otherwise, they lost a last issue because on the mini episode, I was reading the top 10 heroes and villains, and for she, they just kept calling her this type of babe, this type of babe, 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 babe. Oh, so, yeah, that was boy. the end. <laughs> All right. And Wizards. number one, two words courtesy flush. Oh, hey! I guess they're saying that. The guys at Wizard Magazine weren't flushing the toilet when they were... Uh... And if you have listened to our our interviews on the Wizard Files, as well as our 30th reunion roundtable, uh, you heard the story of a, a certain phantom of fecal matter who uh, left his mark in their bathrooms. So yes, that was an issue there. Great. There you go. 
This solves an urban legend that I've read online that Tom Arnold invented the phrase courtesy flush in Austin Powers. Ooh, it was wizard. Yeah, because this predates Austin Powers by more than a year. Oh, or no, yeah. more than two years. So Wow, so maybe uh, maybe Tom Arnold was ad-libbing. He'd just been reading through some back issues of Wizard when he went to the set that day. Oh, he's like, those wizard guys, they got their finger on the pulse of comedy. I, I, yeah. I also have to point out that the picture on this page, just slightly above and to the <laughs> right of this top ten list, is a drawing of Garab in some sort of armor, but he's pulling up his shirt, and he's shooting some sort of projectile out of his belly button towards a little campfire, I guess you would say. Well, so listen, this is very interesting you say that, Michael, because this is not Garab Seamus. This is a profile on editorial assistant David Prager, but in the questions, they ask, who would play you in a movie? And he says, jokingly, Nell Carter. Actually, Garib Seamus, we supposedly look alike. Or Josh Saviano, Paul from the Wonder Years, older and 35 pounds heavier. So you think he looks like Garib, other people think he looks like Garib too. Okay, good. You're not far off. You're, wasn't you're in good company. But speaking of good company, so glad to have you guys back. Man, the conversations we could have continue on. If only we had more hours in the day and you guys had more hours to stay awake and alert, which I know you don't. <laughs> You're going to hit the sack as soon as we stop recording. Most yeah, likely, yes. Yeah, we're, we're back in it. Well, how, how did you feel overall being back on the show, guys? It was fun. It was it's good. Fun. It was, it's fun it was... to just like, not even to talk about comics, just to joke around and laugh yeah, it's fun a, i do miss that stuff and the banta uh, yeah, yes <laughs> Speaking of which, you know, we, we've been really enjoyed talking to everybody on social media as always. Thanks, guys, for reaching out. And thank you also to the fellas over at Toy Galaxy. Many of you who have, were reading Toy Fair back in the old days probably are still in action figures. These days, you watch Toy Galaxy videos on YouTube. They're a very popular channel. Turns out, they listen to the show. They know what we do. And uh, they actually featured us in their history of Wizard Magazine video they did the sad rise and fall as they called it of wizard magazine and we got a shout out on there which was very very nice so thank you very much dan larson and the rest of the crew over at toy galaxy for uh, spreading the word about wizards the podcast guide to comics we really appreciate it so i have a little thing to share with you guys you know how i wear those bowler hats or whatever that i wear Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I get them from a company called BostonScally.com. They gave me a custom promo code for our show that if any fans wanted to use the promo code, can get five dollars off any hat on their website. So we're we gonna put that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes, and uh, I'll post it on our website as well. All right, guys, and if you want to be a sponsor, you can reach out to us at wizardscomicspod at gmail dot com. Just let us know. But this is not about the money; it's about the fun, like we said, and we are enjoying ourselves. We will be back soon enough to talk more. And I tell you, issue forty three has a lot of interesting content in there, guys. Like we talk about, there's a lot Ooh. of change here. It continues to evolve, and in the meantime. 
time, hey, check out what we're doing on social media at Wizards Comics on Twitter at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. Go on over to the YouTube channel. Check out what we're unlocking from the vaults and we'll hopefully get up some new videos for you soon. And also, you know, we really are enjoying those of you who are taking the time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make it five stars. Make it fun. We're literally one point down. We have a 4.9 because somebody gave us a four out of five. Why? Why do that? It was me. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate everybody being part of the Wizards universe. Always our pleasure. And we will be back soon enough. But until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.